Mark Woods back with another Page One podcast, and today I have Christopher Hong. We were going to talk about your outdoors column <laughs> and fishing and hunting, and we we're going to have some fun with that, but I guess maybe we should save that for another week. Cause yeah, a, I think work got in the way of that one. A little, little bit of news this week that you uh, had in this morning's paper. Um, that State Attorney Melissa Nelson will not file charges against anyone on the Jacksonville City Council after closing a nearly year-long investigation into potential violations of the Florida Sunshine Law. So um, I guess, yeah, that's the, the start of that. Explain what, what, what the news was. Yeah, so um, let's go back to September of the, uh, 2018. There was um, We'd wrote about the, the, the fact that the State Attorney's Office had reached out to council members and we're interviewing people about potential violations of the Sunshine Law. And so no one really, no one was supposed to know what was going on. Um, you know, we, and so by reading the letters that the state attorney investigator sent, like you didn't really know what was going on. We just knew that they were looking into violations of the Sunshine Law. So we had reported that there were some sort of probe. And then yesterday um, we got a copy of the report. The investigation has been closed. No charges will be filed. And the report lays it all out there. So mm-hmm. um, we can go back in time and we can kind of just walk through what happened well yeah i guess um i mean maybe maybe start yeah going back in time that it starts with a complaint filed yeah by the mayor's office how about this for, for, let's talk about what the sunshine law is and yeah. what it says you can and cannot do so the florida sunshine law was created because some very wise people decided that hey like government officials and especially people on legislative bodies they shouldn't be able to cut deals in private and do all the work of being a legislative official in secret. Instead, we're going to require them to do everything that, you know, all the work that led to the decision that they're about to make and share their thinking and do the debating, the negotiating, and do all this in a public meeting. So right. concerned citizens can see exactly what happened. So because of that, legislative officials like members of the Jacksonville City Council, they are not allowed to discuss anything that they're going to, like any council business. They cannot, and that includes um, obviously legislation that they're voting on, uh, but it also includes the elections of their leadership every mm-hmm. year. Every year they have um, one of our columnists has referred to as a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And we'll um, get a little bit more why um, he might be onto something about that. But you know, they, they, every year they elect a president and a vice president, and usually the vice president becomes the president. But in recent years, there's that you know that hasn't necessarily happened, and that's gotten them all you know that's gotten everyone uh pretty ticked off but anyway so even that you're not allowed to broker deals and and in secret and you know tell people hey like i'm think i'm gonna vote for so and so and so and so told me i'm gonna vote for him that would essentially be the same thing as talking about how you're gonna vote for a piece of legislation you can't do that you have to do everything in a public meeting they're told every single year listen if you want to talk about this you can meet in one of the rooms up in the city council offices. You just put a notice. You just notice the meeting. Anyone mm-hmm. wants to go can go. Usually nobody in the public goes because no one cares about it. And then you have these two council members, and they talk about what they want to do, and you usually have someone pledge support. This report basically indicates that that hasn't really been happening. At least it didn't last year. Um, so the report, let's go back to February 2018. Um, Sam Musa, who's the chief administrative officer for the city, um, basically Curry's right or left-hand man, just depending on how you look at it, he, um, he reached out to the city's ethics director, Carla Miller, and he told her that he had heard a story from Allie Corman-Shelton, who was also at the time 
a member of the mayor's administration. And she said that Councilman John Cresimini had told her about a story that recently happened. And what happened was Garrett Dennis, Councilman Garrett Dennis, approached him in secret outside of a meeting and handed him a business card. And on the back of that business card was a handwritten list of names. And he told John something to the effect of, hey, if you run against Aaron Bowman to be the council president, these are the people who would vote for you. So, you know, obviously, just take a second here. to That—that That is, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to do that. That, right. that is certainly legally questionable, and it, it sounds pretty illegal. And the investigators agreed with that. So the inspector general's office, they began looking into this. They met with Sam and investigators from the state attorney's office. They were also in that meeting. Sam told the story. The IG's office, the inspector general's office, decided to look into this. And so what they did was they pulled some of Garrett's phone records. Like, hey, well... If he has organized this voting block in secret, maybe it would reflect in his phone records. We'll see who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And so they look at these phone records and they realize that he is spending a substantial amount of time on the phone with Anna Brochet and Anna Brochet's assistant, Janine Sanders. Like, I think between October 2017 and February 2018, there were like 1,700 calls between um, Janine Sanders and you know a significant amount of calls with Anna. And so at that point, the state attorney looks at these phone records. They decide that they're going to take over the investigation because there's a potential criminal violation here. And not only was that the original complaint, but it was also the fact that these council members are speaking on the phone. Now, mm-hmm. there is nothing illegal about Garrett calling anyone on the city council and you know spending three hours you know, talking about football or talking about their favorite book or what their favorite movie is. But... The uh, you know obviously they can't talk about anything related to the government so or at least anything that they're going to vote on and make a decision on mm-hmm. and so the investigators saw this pattern of phone calls as a another potential violation of the law and so um, at that point the investigation broadened a little bit they were still going to investigate the complaint they got from Sam Musa but they were also going to try to ascertain whether or not the council members were breaking the Sunshine Law by these, you know, these extensive phone calls that they were making with each other. And so they pulled, they started to basically just followed a, you know, one, one question I got was why didn't the investigators just pull everyone's phone records? And what they say in the report is they just stuck the initial complaint. And then when another name would show up showing extensive conversations on a phone record, they would pull that phone record and they kind of, they would just follow a trail essentially. Hmm. And so what ended up happening is they had, um, they were looking into Katrina Brown. In addition to Anna Brochet and Garrett Dennis, they also found that Katrina Brown had spent a lot of time talking to Reginald Gaffney, Reginald Brown, and Sam Newby. Mm-hmm. Um, this was before the time Katrina and Reggie Brown were suspended by Rick Scott for their um, indictments in a federal fog, fraud conspiracy. Other news. Other news, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go back in the archives and read that yeah. one. Uh, and, and so... You know, they they looked at that, and, and come September, they started meeting with people. And so they um, think what they were trying to do is meet with as many council members as they could, and they were asking very broad questions, and they didn't want to ask any specific questions or challenge any statements from the subjects of this investigation because they didn't want to lead them on to know who was being targeted and mm-hmm. what information they had. And so in these, inve- in these interviews, um, you know, the, all the subjects of the investigation told investigators – Look, we don't really talk. I don't really talk to people 
you know, outside of meetings about business or not about business. You know, every once in a while I'll call somebody like, hey, what time's the meeting start? Or, hey, I'm not going to be able to make this committee meeting. But um, they all said like, yeah, we don't do this. We don't talk about, we just don't spend a lot of time talking to each other. And so the investigators found that is um, pretty compelling evidence that there was for, I don't know what the legal term for this. I think it's like consciousness of guilt, but I mean, that's a fancy way of saying they knew what they were doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so um, what they did was then they met with Janine Sanders, the assistant, and they, they leaned on her a little bit. They confronted her about her extensive conversations with Garrett. And I think they were trying to just get her to maybe spill the beans or shed a little bit more light. She didn't know. And um, so they, you know, they tried interviewing her in a sworn statement. Um, they issued her a subpoena. They didn't get any more information. They didn't get any information from Garrett and Anna. Um, Garrett and Anna ended up hiring attorneys and, you know, shortly after declined to further interviews. And so they came up short. No one told them what they were talking about. And in order to prosecute this kind of case, you have to know, you have to have compelling and substantial evidence that they were talking about government business on the phone. And so because the Sunshine Law, a violation of that is only a second degree misdemeanor, they could not issue search warrants. They could not wiretap phones. They, 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 could, they had to keep the kid gloves on, basically. They couldn't use these more deeper probing investigative techniques that you would use for you know, a higher crime. Mm-hmm. And so they determined that there's nothing we can do here. Um, you know, We're going to not press charges. But there's still um, – their, their report has strongly worded things. Like I think the quote you pulled out was – Common sense dictates that council members do not spend 62 hours, 74 hours, and 38 hours on the phone with other council members discussing simple scheduling matters or irregular personal matters. Right. Yeah. It, you know, this report, no one was vindicated. Or the subjects of this report were not vindicated by it. At least my reading of it was not right. just a, a wholesale clearing of their names. I mean, I guess anything is possible. I'm not going to pretend like I can you know, know things that I don't. Um, but yeah, I, I think the investigators make a pretty good point. They were spending an awful lot of time on the phone with each other often before and at, or sometimes before and after meetings. Um, it, I think any reasonable person would wonder what are they talking about? And right. I think another reasonable person might think, wow, it's really hard to imagine they weren't talking about what they do on the council. I mean, Mark, if we spoke for 37 hours over the course of 151 days, I think we'd have to try really, (laughs) really, really hard not to talk about our jobs, right? Be all uh, Packers and... uh, (laughs) I know we have a lot in common, but I I think work would come up every once in a while. Um, So we should come back to that business card, since that was the start of it. So that's still this kind of little, what really happened there, and we don't know, right? Yeah, then that that is equally... um, intriguing to me as well um so we'll start with the original complaint ali corman shelton according to the report ali corman shelton tells sam musa about this meeting that she had with crescent and crescent tells the the fabled business story business card story um and so sam meets with the investigators and they start looking into this and it comes time to talk to john crescent who's really the only person who can provide direct evidence of this aside from Garrett Dennis, who's at this point lawyered up and not going to talk about it. And, um, get to interviewing John and John says this meeting never happened. Said Garrett never gave him any business card with names written on it. And that, uh, he he never talked trying to get him to run for council president and he never 
gave him a list of names of votes. Um, so yeah, I mean, at that point, they they've also hit a dead end here. So um, somewhere is. I mean, that that's my big takeaway out of this. Someone is lying here, and it's not a white lie. I mean, so if let's just assume somebody lied about John telling the story, it would either be Ali Orman or Sam Bates. Right. Anyone else could have lied about that? So that means they knowingly told the story that wasn't true, and they sent investigators on a wild goose chase. The state attorney's office would you and I and everyone else in the city money chasing something that didn't happen. The question, why would they do that? The other scenario is that John Cressamini, this story did happen, and that John Cressamini lied to investigators. That means that he protected Garrett Dennis from you know, being held accountable for possibly breaking the law. Now, I'm not trying to accuse anyone of lying here. Right, just Let's what, just be clear. But like these are, <laughs> any, I mean, that this is what ha- somebody was lying here, and right. I, I'm not. I don't know who it was. I don't know what happened. But I, I think that's really. I mean, a city official lied to law enforcement. Right. This, and that the, I think that's very noteworthy. I think it's right. It's it's remarkable. Uh, maybe we can talk. I guess just briefly a little bit. What um two main mayoral candidates, what it, what it means. Um, you know, Anna Brochet uh, has made transparency one of the big issues in her campaign and how this reflects on that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, investigators said they don't have any evidence that she or anyone else broke the law, so let's just make that clear. Um, th- there is the optics issue of this, though. Um, you know, the Sunshine Law was designed as a tool for transparency, requiring people or government officials to talk about and to share everything going on in their mind and preventing people from talking and leading, doing the work that leads to decision behind closed doors. It's meant so everyone can see exactly how these, these officials that they voted for made these decisions. And, you know, if they were discussing anything behind closed doors that had to do with their jobs, the council business, I mean, that's the, that's, the exact opposite of transparency. Right. It's you know, you know whether or not they were talking about it or not. It certainly leads any reasonable person to wonder what they were talking about. Yeah, and that's been a definitely, I think, a legitimate criticism of this current administration is that we feel often feel like we don't, the public does not know exactly what's playing out behind closed doors. Sure. Um, so if you're going to hammer that home, yeah, I, th- I find this yeah, this is is damning there. Um, but then uh, I wouldn't say the mayor's office comes out of this looking unscathed either. No, I mean, there's the whole fact that somebody in their administration made this story up. Um, I mean, there's certainly that. I don't know if that's happened, but I mean, that is a possibility. Um, you know, there's also other things in the story. I mean, so when, according to the report, the mayor told investigators that when he learned of this report, um, <laughs> he called Aaron Bowman and told him exactly what happened about it. So that, you know, if, I don't know. My first reaction, if I heard about a crime, wouldn't be to, to you know, pass it on to the guy who, you know, is trying to, you know, who's involved in this, mm-hmm. um, you know, and these people, I mean, people outside the city council, they always talk about how, Oh, we don't ever get involved in these council presidency races. If this is a decision, this body needs to make on its own. And, you know, it would be wrong for us to, you know, put our finger on the scale. That's not really what it seemed like was going on here. You, you hear a story that someone is trying to work against another person running for the council president, and then you tell them about that. I mean, that seems like you're involved in it. And I think 
a lot of people have always kind of rolled their eyes when they hear various people say they don't get involved in it. I don't know what happens, but um, this certainly um, provided a, a behind-the-scenes look on, on what happens in that process. Right. And then, I guess, circle back to where we started, just the broad idea of, of Sunshine Laws. And um, I think as long as I've been here, there's always been that issue. I remember there used to be a little diner on uh, over... In Avondale, that they the kind Fox. Of, yes, they referred City to Hall West. Yes, City Hall West, and then you had this story about text messages a few years ago. This seems to be kind of a it just every few years it bubbles up, and it never you know it never leads to any um, legal ramifications. Which is it? It seems like it's almost impossible to to prosecute sunshine yeah i mean there's a there's a couple things that you could take away from this um first of all this investigation i mean reading the report if you're assuming everything in it's right and i'm assuming that it is um i I mean i think these investigators took this investigation as far as they could i mean they interviewed people they looked at phone records and yet they turned up with not i mean they had a feeling something happened but you know how do you how do you find out what two people talked about on the phone and how do you figure out what they're going to talk about in the future if you cannot wiretap it? I mean, there's just, they, there's only so much they can do. And, and so unless, you know, two council members <laughs> have the misfortune of meeting at a restaurant and talking <laughs> about, you know, council business and someone overhears them and is willing to testify. I mean, I, there's really few things that can, or they're texting about it and somebody gets a hold of those text messages. And by the way, the, um, the government cannot issue search warrants for you know anything, from my understanding. And someone correct me if I'm wrong here, but so I'd imagine that um, you'd have to issue a search warrant for text messages that you couldn't get in a public records request. Mm-hmm. You would have to issue a search warrant for, I guess, any notes or documents that two members would be passing along. Although I don't really think people communicate that way anymore. Um, business cards business card yeah i think that business card you definitely would have needed as a search warrant to get it um see i mean what can they do i mean if it was a felony um there was certainly more they could do and there would probably be more compelling reason to you know invest the resources into investigating these crimes um and i maybe people would feel differently about breaking the law if it was a felony right which leads to the second point i mean this is it's not the first time this council has been told or has dealt with this issue. So first of all, they get ethics training every single year. They all complain about it. And, you know, they get a free lunch and they got to go meet with Carla Miller and they sit through these meetings and I'm not sure if everyone goes, but they're all supposed to be there. And they are told exactly what they're supposed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And then I think they go even further saying, this is what you should do just to avoid any of these weird, you know, these situations like we're talking about today. They know exactly what they're not supposed to do and what they're not allowed to do and what they've been advised to do. When they first got into office, there was a scandal. There was the night of the budget was getting voted on. Um, there was, forget the, the fine print details, but there was some sort of change to the budget that they wanted to add that would have restored a pay cut. It would, have, it would restore a pay cut to, I think, a certain rank of firefighter. I think it's captains and but anyway, so they were going to take money out of this special fund that was going to pay for drainage projects. The motion failed. I mean, because some people in the city believe that, you know, drainage is one of the many pieces of infrastructure that's failing. And so they felt wrong about taking money out of that. 
<coughs> excuse me. So the motion fail or the measure fails. Later on the night, without any, this kind of goes to the point of the sunshine law, without any explanation or debate, someone decides to just bring it up again. They want to try to retry the motion. And I don't recall there being a robust debate about why people had to change a heart or why they wanted to vote on it twice. (laughs) Somehow the motion passed. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was like, well, let's pull some text messages. So we requested some text messages, and sure enough, the um, the president of the firefighters union was you know doing what he's supposed to do, trying to get money for the people in his union, and he's text messaging people saying like trying to convince them to vote, and that in and of itself isn't wrong. I mean, Randy Wise, he's the president; he had every right to do that. I think that's his job as the union president is to try to lobby these people into doing it. The problem where that kind of got dicey was that he was also sharing information like, well, so and so. He's kind of sharing like what vote, his vote count and like people who was willing to switch and what, and I think other people were talking about other council members were talking about that too, and so what was happening is you had this like real time debate happening over the airwaves and, mm-hmm. uh, and people's cell phones, and it wasn't happening on the floor. No one knew what was going on. No one knew why, and so we were left with a decision that nobody had any sort of explanation for. That was a problem. Um, nobody got in trouble for. It. There was never a criminal investigation, but. The Office of General Counsel, they issued a memo um, <coughs> kind of reminding people what the law said and what they can and cannot do. Um, the council president at the time, Greg Anderson, he suspended the use of cell phones in, during council meetings. Um, that pissed a lot of people off. You know, like, well, my wife can't text me or when my, you know, I can't text my wife telling her when I'm going to go home for dinner. And they made a huge deal about it. And sure enough, the rule was lifted and. You know, I don't know if they still use cell phones or not, but they obviously didn't learn their le- Some people didn't learn their lesson about the Sunshine Law because I think that um, the city's ethics director, I can't imagine that she would advise them to speak on the phone this much. They would, she would probably advise against it, mm-hmm. even if they are only talking about football. Um, you know, another thing here worth mentioning in the report, um, even the people who weren't the subjects of this investigation, it seemed that there was a lot of discussion going on about the council president's race, which they are not supposed to talk about behind the scenes. Um, I think what they can do is you can say, I can say, hey, Mark, I intend to run for council president, and it's supposed to end right there. Hmm. I'm not allowed to say, hey, man, maybe you should vote for me. If we are passing each other in the hall, you are not even allowed to shoot me a thumbs up because <laughs> that could be construed as you know some sort of sign of support. Hmm. So council president Aaron Bowman who, by the way, he ran for president unopposed. Crescent, he never challenged him. Um, he won unanimously. Unanimously, But he was speaking with investigators, and um, during the interview, he was like, yeah, like some people told me that Garrett Dennis was trying to sabotage my campaign. And so <laughs> the investigators were like, well, who are these people? And uh, he didn't want to tell them. And so um, they leave the interview. The investigators, they don't really say why, and they don't say whether or not they threatened Aaron Bowman or they told him they were about to do this. But they tell him, or they were prepared to issue a subpoena for him to come in the state attorney's office and give a sworn statement under oath. Hmm. Um, So for whatever reason, they just said in the report, in lieu of doing this, Aaron Bowman agreed to an additional interview. And then he he started giving names, and he shared a little bit more information about what happened. This is according to the report. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, then he said, you know, he'd spoken to Councilman Tommy Azuri, and Tommy said, you know, um, 
he believed Garrett was working against him and that he said that Aaron couldn't be trusted. And he talked to several other council members and they're like, yeah, well, I talked to Garrett. He said he's not supporting you, but, you know, he didn't really try to encourage me to not vote for you, too. And I'm reading this, and this sounds like exactly what the memo that they receive every year telling them what not to do. It sounds like what they're doing. Hmm. The report doesn't say why they didn't see this as, or consider this a violation of the Sunshine Law. It doesn't sound like they looked into it any further. Um, but just reading it, let's just strip away the term illegal and violation. I mean, that sounds like that—that that is what they are told not to do by their ethics officer every year. Hmm. I mean, why even have an ethics officer? They're not going to take the advice. It raises the question. I mean, are they really? I mean, was this just a one-off thing? Or are they doing that this year because that's what they do every year? I think a lot of reasonable people are thinking that. Um, I, it would be hard not to read this report and, and that question not to come to mind. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it it makes you wonder: is the Sunshine Law how robustly it's being follow, followed? Right. And it raises questions about: can you actually enforce it and investigate people for it for violating it? Right. Well, very good. Good stuff. Yeah. Good um, stuff. Thanks for summing it up. Well, do you think it's going to become an issue in the campaign? I don't know. I mean, it it certainly opens some some doors. You know, who knows where this is? I mean, I guess it, it's, it's probably going to get crazy in the next, as if it hadn't already in the next few weeks. But I would think, yeah, I could see both sides trying to use it in different ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, um Go to jacksonville.com and continue to read, look for Chris's story. And next time, we will talk hunting, fishing, <laughs> Nina, Wisconsin, manhole covers. It will, we'll take an hour to <laughs> yeah, cover all we'll, that. That'll be good stuff. <laughs> all right, thanks for joining right. me. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.